0: Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing dead art forms. Nick, um, yeah, where, lead us in. Why are we talking about this? Well, like any
1: true-blooded Englishman I like a good poem occasionally you know hmm. um and uh I occasionally try to get my kids to pay some attention to poetry oh, and show them yeah exactly show them I tried to get I think when I read I read the um Iliad to my son I thought oh, it'd be a good opportunity to get into have a read of uh Ulysses by Tennyson and he couldn't have been less interested in it. And they, they just, I think they just don't see any relevance in poetry at all. And it did it make me, and I sort of realized, well, the problem is that poetry, apologies to any, anyone who thinks they're a poet out there, but poetry is dead. I mean I got I've had a you know the all of the poems are kind of fossilized it feels a bit like it's a fossilized art form and and really poetry simply consists of a bunch of poetry from poetry from poems from the olden days mm. and I I had a look at um what what the U it's a bit american biased this but it was a list of I think it's the poetry archive or whatever it's called uh what they think you know the sort of top 30 poems ever are and it's clear you know you've got a bunch of them you'd expect you know there's some some falling off over time so there are fewer from you know a long time ago but um yeah it's a cluster exactly where you'd expect to find them at the beginning of the 19th century beginning of the romantic movement um and then uh you have um a whole slew of them from the um you know from the ninth, from this early 20th century um all of that is a very fecund period uh you know the wasteland um the the red wheelbarrow the road not taken and if all, all from the you know first couple of decades really of the 20th century, mm. and then then there's another little few a little spurt of poetry in the um, you know 1950s and 60s. You know, you there are celebrity poets, aren't there? I mean, Allen Ginsberg and Hughes and Heaney, Plath. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and um, you know Sylvia Plath, exactly. So you've got kind of quite a good little cluster of them there. And then the last gasp of poetry here is still I rise, which I think is Maya Angelou, 1978. Right, the last what, what about poem about? this list uh yeah exactly so uh so um uh who was that other guy max boyce but anyway the the point is that that is we're now looking at you know over 40 years since the last poem on that list and there they are every two or three or four or five years before that you know so it's like there hasn't been a new poem for the last 40 years and it got me thinking Well, actually, that puts poetry into the same sort of world as kind of trad jazz and twelve-bar blues and making tapestries. In that, they're things we still look at and still enjoy, but there is no active, you know, innovative sort of uh, cultural producing those things. Yeah, it no longer exists as a current art form. It has sort of become fossilized. is the only way I can put it. So the question is. Is that a fair assessment? Is it true? Um, have uh, uh, Is it meaningful to talk of an art form as, as dead? And what exactly do we mean? How do we know if it's going to happen? How, when is it time to leave, you know, to do what Bob Dylan did and, you know, say goodbye to folk music, pick up an electric guitar and start blamming out blues rock? Um mm. That's the question, really, yeah.
0: Also, I think perhaps within there, why as well? If it does happen, then why? Because mm. sometimes you can see technological, but something like poems, you'd have thought it was fairly sort of timeless and not sort of, um, yeah. you know, um, vulnerable to technological changes, or is it? Uh, Chris, do you think we're asking the right questions here? And do you yeah, I mean, do you th- agree I, with I, the I premise?
2: So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. There are, um, th- there are definitely art forms which have... Um, have passed their sell-by sell date uh, and, you know, that we have moved beyond. And I think that the question you asked about why is a is a very, you know, a very um, apt one. Uh, you know, if you look at, um, you know, sort of thinking about this question, you know, there are a number of, of kind of reasons that might possibly act as, uh, as indicators. But I think one of the great ones which you alluded to is... Um, is kind of replacement. Uh, and, you know, so if you look at um, if you look at things like uh, oral traditions, you know, so the the Edda or Homeric poetry and so on mm. at the point at which, you know, written language became prevalent and could be read by multiple people, you know, that that kind of put paid to that kind of uh, of tradition it lived on. But the places it lived on longest in uh, were places you know were cultures with no um strong strong writing um uh, you know written written language like like north america or uh, or australasia um so you know and if you look at things like illuminated manuscripts you know kind of replaced by by you know the spreading of literacy um and if you go into the you know the the kind of nineteenth century you can see you can start to you know look at this from a bit more of a a kind of data overlapping point of view, so you know you had you had um, obviously vaudeville was a was a very popular sort of artistic mm. tradition you know, way of presenting uh, different different art forms um, but by the time you, you know they, effectively by the time you got into the uh, um, into cinema uh, you know by the 1930s sixty five percent of of uh, the u s population went to the movies once once a week. Uh, and vaudeville you know deteriorated at that at that point in fact it started incorporating uh film into into vaudeville um you know shows but but was overtaken by the you know the advent of cinema uh and then if you look you know so 65 percent of the the u.s population going once a week to the cinema in the 30s by the mid 60s that that was down to 10 percent um and then you think, well, why might that be? Well, you look at television in the fifties; nine percent of households had TVs. By the mid-sixties, it was ninety-two percent. So you can you can see, I think one of the key issues, uh, which you know, poetry is an interesting point because it because like you say, there's no obvious replacement. But I think for a lot of art forms or a lot of ways of presenting art, uh, they are they are replaced by something either more convenient. Or something more obviously superior you know I mean live performance cannot recreate what 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 cinema can uh, and cinema is more convenient to consume in your own in your own house through a through a TV so I, I think that's 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 one um, you know primary factor that that's uh, that's worth thinking about
1: and I think Chris is going big here because he he really is talking about art forms and and i think the primary driver as he's saying is technology um and um it, it's interesting it just reminds me of something that, that looking at um the way you know perhaps you could say the big the the most recent mass market art form would be maybe computer games that might be the that might be the most recent you know c- couldn't have existed um beyond about you know 40 years ago um but it's interesting that the, you know, board games still exist. And in many ways, are having a big renaissance. Likewise, you know, it, it, it's easy to point at the cinema and say, well, that's obviously better than the theatre. And yet the theatre still exists. Likewise, paintings still exist, even though you, you might naively think, well, photographs are better. And, and I wonder if what happens is that the, you know, a lot of the load is removed from You know, an art form when something comes along and sort of steals its oxygen in that way, you know, so with with painting, for example, you know, photography comes along. Painting no longer has to serve the role of being representational. Mm. Um, And and suddenly, you know, it, it, I think in a way it makes the original go in a different direction, and and you could you might say that about about what happened to visual arts with the rise of of you know really faithful representationals. and I and, I, and, and, and certainly and uh, you know talking about something I know a lot about board games, you know when when board games in the late seventies had really turned into these incredibly complex you know huge rule books kind of war games you know that sort of uh, the heyday of the hex encounter war game where you know they were every they were trying to essentially do what you can simulate with a computer but with rule books and dice and and with that constraint removed you know you get a whole new kind of approach to, to war gaming emerging so it's almost like when you get these new art art, art forms spawning off it, it does have it po- has possibly an interesting and and positive effect on the art that what it leaves behind. And
0: is any of this predictable? Because we've talked about you know the technology side of it, and yeah, I think I think you mentioned in the introduction, Nick, is that you know um, sometimes you can see this coming. Um, yeah, and uh, how I, I can mean, we respond, Chris?
2: Yeah, I, I think I think one one key sign. So that there's there's the issue of um, sort of. Uh, technological replacement, but but there's also the the issue of technological redundancy, right? Which is which is where like you take something like um, Chinese ceramics, right? You know, all all of that was was kind of done hundreds of, of years ago. You know, there's a there's a um, a, a Sotheby's sold a, a, a Ming um, what's referred to as a chicken cup, you know, a, a basically a cup with with chickens on it for for 36 uh, million dollars uh, a few years ago oh. and, and that's considered to be you know that's that's from about 500 years ago the, the kind of heyday of of chinese ceramics but of course once mass production came along and uh you know western countries started being able to more or less turn out exactly the same thing without the the craft the individual craft required mm. um that kind of that kind of kills that as a as an an art form of necessity or or of, or of you know mass requirement and, and and i think the same is is true of you know once um once photography comes along and things like portraiture and you know capturing things that you that, that you wanted to do can can be done better and more cheaply and by everybody um it, it does force that art in a different direction but i i think there's a, there's a point at which that the direction that gets forced in if you look at what happened to art in the 20th century you know as photography became wide, widespread um it obviously went in in a more abstract direction and and i think that sort of if you look at art now a lot of people would say it is it is sort of um uh, kind of creatively bankrupt really as a, a, a as a sort of um you know an, a, 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 an art form and i think it hastens you 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 go into more and more sort of um abstract and self-referential forms of 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 the art and before Mm. long you know the the, if it's not if it's not being consumed on a mass level and there's not an economic driver for lots of people to be producing it um it's quite easy for it to become very sort of esoteric niche a bit pretentious sure um look i, I sorry i just i think this is it reminds
1: me of a thing which um uh venkatesh rao who we frequently refer to actually talked about he, he's got he's got this thing he calls the gervais principle based on a kind of what he sees as an implied theory of organizations in in the office and and he he says he bases it on this mcleod life cycle of the firm where you start with um uh, you know, you start with with what he calls sociopaths, which are essentially very driven sort of people who want to achieve. And then they recruit what he calls losers, which are people who are essentially just sort of, you know, working for doing it for the money. Um, but then eventually they have to recruit recruit a third class of people called the clueless, who you might think of as sort of people who are kind of, you know, motivated by being in the organization and want to succeed. And and this then leads to the death of the firm when when you have enough clueless in there and i and i i've been thinking about the how this might relate to um uh how what happens both within a particular technology for producing um art but also within specific genres now there's a and i think there's a there is a bit of a overlap there in the sense that you think of something like electronica which you know couldn't have existed without electronic music technology um you know and right at the beginning of that movement you know which was you could probably look at in the 50s and 60s and you've got you know these sort of people like brian eno and um steve reich really experimenting with electronic music which sort of gradually becomes kind of mainstream becomes mm. things are made easier for people to enter you can get the you can buy the you know the technology now you, you don't have to build it yourself you can buy it from somewhere and then suddenly there's lots of other people all trying to get in on this whole um electronic music scene and there becomes you know a fandom and the rules start appearing about how you're supposed to produce electronic music and what it has to sound like and what you're not allowed to do and and it's it's almost like um yeah. And it kind of reminds me of that, you know, this, this sense of um, the death of an art form is almost, you know, is starting to happen as soon as it takes off and people start thinking, oh, I want to do that. It reminds mm. me a bit of the um, of the, the Hollywood, what's called the Hollywood life cycle of um, mm. which Ricardo Montalban, I think he either invented it or at least gave a version of it where, where it goes, um, who is Ricardo Montalban? Get me Ricardo Montalban. Get me someone like Ricardo Montalban. Get me a young Ricardo Montalban who is ricardo Montalban? and i and i feel like with an art with with any kind of art form or or even genres within an art form there's that thing at the beginning of what is this what is this weird new thing then oh how do i do that weird new thing and then this shift towards how should i do this new thing the rules and the conventions start appearing um and and then then it's, you know, you, you almost get to the point where people go, oh, remember that that was a cool thing, wasn't it? You know, and people get nostalgic about it and then and at that point it's sort of fossilized and and if you take the 12 bar blues i mean early blues musicians for example people mm-hmm. like robert johnson and um you know blind lemon jefferson and uh blind blake and and all the other people who had physical ailments um were you know they they didn't play 12 bar blues i mean they did sometimes but but they were doing you know quite a lot of varied chord progressions and would mm. sometimes you know use um use use sort of ragtime chord progressions and stuff and it's still recognizably blues but mm. eventually somehow the rules became laid down that blues can only be blues if mm. it's that 12 bar structure and, and that's you know you've got and, gary moore yeah and then and then you have no more innovation is no longer possible because what was once a sort of unexplored area has now fossilized into a doctrine of how that thing is done and so, at that point you know the fresh fields are elsewhere
0: yeah, I, that's really uh, some really nice little little avenue you've taken us down there. I think that's a really nice explanation. Um, th- we in a, uh, there's a question I want to ask in a, in a minute or two. But before we do that, what I wanted to ask is um, that analogy that you used of who is Ricardo Montalban? Is that have I said that correctly? Yeah. Um, can we identify anything right now that is just after the who? Who is this? Which is which? I think you said is kind of I want some of that. Get me that. Is that right? Can we identify anything right now?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got a, a candidate. I've got a couple of candidates for different different cycles in that. But I think um I think if you look at something like um TikTok, right? Mm. And the the creation of the short the short dance routine that is then embellished and picked up. And it's 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 kind of um you know it's obviously quite new but i'm i'm sure it's uh, less new than i think it is um but uh it's you know there is a set structure to it and and then people pick up you know somebody's dance and they embellish that dance and change it slightly and there are sort of rules and the, you know you use a certain length of time but it's it's kind of a an evolving an evolving art form but one which quite quickly is laid down this is this is how you you know, these are the sets of rules that you um, that you apply mm. to it. Um, so I think that's a, that's a candidate. I think there are other candidates where we are towards the the, the death throw. So I think I think um, things like uh, comedy, uh, certainly sitcoms, but also stand-up comedy, have mm. now. I mean, it's interesting, Nick. You mentioned um, Gervais and and the the Office mm. uh, uh, idea. I think the the you know there are certain uh, certain um, examples of art forms that then effectively ruin the art form thereafter for everyone else. So, the Office, I think, basically made the standard structure of a of a sitcom very difficult to do do again because of the structure of it. Stand up comedy, uh, somebody like Stuart Lee and his deconstruction of um, stand up comedy now makes stand up comedy very difficult for me for me to watch you know at face at face value mm. and that was what i was sort of getting at At times you know if somebody does something self-referential or or, or sort of meta um it it makes that it kind of kills that that art form because yeah. you can't you can't watch it anymore um, yeah I, and i think i i feel like that
1: can only come at the point when a doctrine has been laid down so you know if you look at stuart lee's early stuff you know from the from the sort of mid 80s He's just a normal stand-up comedian. Yeah. He's just a doing the things that other stand-up comedians are doing. Now, at the time, even even by the mid to late eighties, it was become it had become fairly established what a stand-up comedy routine looked like. And, you know, there was the lingo associated with it. And people would say, Oh, you know, we're gonna have a this is a callback and um, you know, and 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 the sort of I suppose it became a craft, you know. It's that transition from an art to a craft in some ways. Mm. um And now, of course, only someone who's really, really steeped in all that, like Stuart Lee, can get away with being able to just make reference to all of those conventions and take the Mickey out of them and take the Mickey out of other comedians who just still, you know, the sort of Michael McIntyres who just fought churn out you know that formula and um so so yeah and, and i but i think it's interesting to think about those people those people who either who jump genres or create new genres because they they can see that happening and i'm Mm. thinking of people i mean people like beatles uh, the beatles and you know and and sort of rock and roll the beatles in 63 are unrecognizable i mean they're still they're a brilliant 1963 band but then by 1970 they're totally they're producing something totally different which would have no one would have known what it was you know in when they when they started in a very short period of time Beethoven is another one, you know, whose music is is fairly sort of, you know, conventional classical music at the beginning of, of his career in the late 18th century. But then by the time, you know, he's producing the late string quartets that that those that music is you wouldn't be out of place 100 years later you know you could you could think that that was from the 1920s it was so such a phenomenal change in style and and um you know david bowie is another one who you know has really moved who moved genres many times and, and was brilliant everywhere he went but could sense when you know if you like when the clueless were moving in you know when it was mm. becoming too mainstream uh and it, even in even someone like ludwig wittgenstein you know he's a philosopher which you wouldn't normally think of as an art form but you know began in a as a real hardcore logical positivist and ended up becoming much something of, a lot more like you know kind of continental philosophy a very big change
2: but, but did both things really really well those people are are really interesting, and you know. but, but but I th- I think the key is you know I, I mean it's it's difficult to define art art forms at the sort of macro level right, but some some obviously absorb that change. They have the depth to to accommodate it. They're not superficial, and I think I think there are there are some you know one dimensional art forms that, and that's probably linked to the the length of the life cycle right if it's mm. if it's deep and there's lots of uh, complexity and potential um uh, potential things you can you can modulate uh that gives it a greater chance of 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 living i mean i look back on um uh i look back on the, the on the 1980s and i think about magic eye um uh posters <laughs> which you may remember <laughs> you know and and within two years they were they were dead you know they came along they were everywhere and then they were dead and that's mm. partly partly of by virtue of them being you know well they weren't one-dimensional were they that was the whole point but but uh conceptually they were one-dimensional yeah. they um, were a one-trick pony they were one-trick yeah, yeah. pony exactly but also just over and i think i think something that blows up quickly you get all your all of your artistic creativity in a really short period of time, and then it's done. It's spent mm. and gone.
0: Really nice. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, okay, well that, what you're doing, what you're talking about there, harking back to something. Even without the nostalgia, is something I want to ask, which is this: is if, if you were able to to travel in time and immerse yourself um, in a period when a given art form that is now dead and that you can't really access anymore. When it was in its heyday, which dead art form would you like to go? I
1: think this is a good question, and I anticipated this. Ah, But but, no, but one thing I want to say before you say, which I think I think is so hard to do, impossible to do, Mm. is to remember that art forms that have become fossilized once Mm. were fresh. Mm. I I I just and I just find that so hard, like to, to imagine that Duke Ellington for example, could at one point not have immediately put you straight back in the 1930s, you know, that if you would have heard Duke Ellington and not feel nostalgic, you would have heard it and it would have been as fresh as, you know, new vaporwave core is now or whatever music genre they invented last week um mm. I, I, that that i think is 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 a really hard thing to 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 put yourself in the position of someone who's never heard um you know who's 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 never heard a folk song before or you know has never heard rock and roll listening to bill haley
0: yeah it's funny you should say that because the other day i was watching that film uh, yesterday which has got a really interesting premise to it, which is a world where the Beatles do, does not exist, right? Are you familiar with it? I, I, I'm familiar with the premise. I wasn't sure if I'd like the film, so I've never watched it. But is it what is it worth? It's watching? a mixed bag. A mixed bag. I think it's worth watching. But um, but I was saying to my wife, imagine you know hearing Yesterday for the first time ever. Hmm. You know we've heard it so many times, but um, but imagine hearing that for the first time. How fresh that would have sound, sounded. Um, so yeah, so you know, good point, Nick. Um. Nonetheless, um, what would be an art form, either Chris or Nick? Uh,
2: I think f- for me, there are uh, two that kind of come to mind. Mm. Um, one is um, Icelandic Edda. I would, I would, I would love to go back and hear those stories told in, in you know, some some thanes' hall, uh, mm. and and kind of you know sit around the fire and uh, you know. Um, uh just, just i mean that's a period of history that in, intrigues me anyway um but the other one that i would that i would love to see firsthand uh for not an obvious reason um would be um shakespearean theater um mm. so I, I think um because there is so because of what it's become now and because there is so much um reverence around it. reverence around it and so much about you know oh this is you know the globe theater and this is how it would have been yeah this is how it should have been done it yeah. would have been authentic and i would love to i would love to see it and actually see that there were you know people sat in the background sort of you know uh just chatting or not you know not really paying attention or that it that it wasn't like that i would like to see that myth um the bubble of that myth break
0: yeah yeah nice one nice nick
1: yeah it's tricky I was tempted to go with the Bella Pock and that mm. sort of fin de siècle, you know musical impressionism and and all of that kind of era but mm. I think even that's a bit too fresh um I I I think I've got lots of playlists from different eras going back um mm. uh, over time and um music from uh, the medieval era is fun to listen to and mm. um you know, but I think it really gives you a connection with people from from a thousand years ago in a way that almost nothing else can because, you know, you read a book, the language gets in the way, the art style gets in the way. But music's the same. Um, but it is didn't really do much. Uh, and then even music in the Renaissance is recognizably an offshoot of of Renaissance music. But when you get to the Baroque era, you know, you get to sort of 1600. Suddenly, you've got this explosion of, of you know, of to- uh, what must at the time have seemed completely revolutionary. A lot of it, as we were saying earlier, you know, driven by technology of, of, of you know, high, high, much higher precision, ability to create musical instruments and, you know, um, tune them properly and all of those kind of cracking boring things. the harpsichord. Yeah uh, but I mean to hear to 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 have grown you know imagine to having grown up with with you know sort of John bird or something and then to hear js J. bark for the first yeah. time and you know I, I but I can't I can't I I wouldn't be able to do that because I'd just hear it and I go oh brilliant it's the 17th century I love the 17th century mm-hmm. what I'd love to do is hear bark you know as I was saying like as though as though that music had never existed up till now
0: yeah. but I can't yeah, no, good point. Forever
1: trapped in my own right. time. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think I think for me, um, like Chris, I've got two. One is uh, I love blues, um, and I play you know a bit of piano, and I sometimes do feel a bit silly playing it because one it does feel so fossilised, but second you know I'm just this white middle class English person in the 21st century playing this. It just seems, it feels a bit odd, but yeah, I'd love to be able to go back to you know Beale Street at its height in Memphis, and I've been there when it's not at its height and it's just, it's just very, it's, right, just it's a, a kind of a tourist now. destination. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Although I did find the, a great uh, place rather aptly on the outskirts of town, um, which played, had some great blues um, in Memphis, but also, you know, going up to Chicago and that kind of really, you know, when they had all the whole street was rocking with all these juke joints. And I, I would love that. And I think as much of it is, is, I think it's the culture around it as well as just the music. Yeah.
1: I, I think, I suspect that, you know, it, the right the way to think about it would be okay well what would it be um as much as it pains me to say it because i've got I, hip-hop does nothing for me at all but i suspect yeah. the equivalent now will be going to you know to whatever new schools of hip-hop are, are
0: out and about are coming out you know it might be something more like that if you went to Possibly. that today but here's you know? the thing we're talking to that point, uh, Nick, about similar—you know—not being able to appreciate it because you're never going to hear it for the first time. Something we've said on a previous, at least one of the previous podcasts, is whenever we hear new music. We we don't like music, new music, we only like old music. And so we when we, we don't appreciate, let's say, Oasis until twenty years later. Let's right. say. so even if you were hearing it for the first time, you still wouldn't appreciate it. You wouldn't it. like it. Yeah, yeah, that probably you'd be like, What's this noise? Yeah. If, you heard, heard, if rock, you heard blues. But who's this JS yeah. But the other one, just very briefly, and I don't know if you could call it an art form, Roman games. Roman games. Mm. Um just the thought of being in, in the arena with, um, you know, the the gladiators and, yeah, in yeah, the Colosseum yeah. and like yeah. burning a few Christians. Ho- and not some... in
2: the arena, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> do, you want, there's only yeah. one side you want to see it from. Yeah.
0: But also like flooding, you know, flooding the arena and like have, recreating, um, you know, battles. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think that would have been wonderful. That said, I can't even watch bullfighting on TV, so I don't know how to feel about seeing actual people getting carved up in real life. Okay, on that happy note, um, we'll finish there. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Alaph Insights. Until next time, goodbye.